Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to KDVS College Radio right here. FM. Cool. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. On our 100th show, which we did here uh, some time back on, on 90.3 FM, KDVS, we talked about... Edward R. Murrow. We had a chance on that program to speak both with Bob Edwards of, um, of NPR's Morning Edition about his uh, then recent book, Edward R. Murrow and the Birth of Broadcast Journalism, as well as journalistic legend Daniel Shore, who was in 1953 hired by Ed Murrow to come work for CBS. We had a chance to see this movie over the weekend and can recommend it to you very highly. The movie, of course, is Good Night, and good luck. George Clooney deserves a lot of credit for uh, directing and uh, and uh, starring in a subsidiary role in this movie, which uh, deals with uh, what happened in 1953 when uh, Murrow uh, dragged a reluctant CBS into a fight with the rampaging junior senator from Wisconsin, Joseph McCarthy. It's a solid effort uh, at filmmaking, and we recommend that you go over to the tower and check it out uh, sometime in the near future. The themes of the movie, uh, issues of censorship and and political lines drawn in the country where you're either on one side or the other, still reverberate in this country today. We're not going to review the movie uh, per se on today's program, although we plan to do that probably sometime in November. We're going to try and get George Clooney to speak with us, and we have some uh, reason to th- suspect that, that he might. We also think we have a good chance of uh, getting another one of uh, Edward R. Murrow's boys, from even dating back to the World War II era, Richard C. Hodlett, who has appeared on this show twice, and for our money, uh, has been uh, as fascinating a guest as any we've ever had, easily. We're also going to try to speak to Milo Radulovich, the man around whom the controversy that started... Um, uh, Murrow's attack on, uh, on, on McCarthy centered. Radulovich was uh, being drummed out of the Air Force because his father read a Serbian communist newspaper and his sister was a political activist. He was in no way, shape, or form a, um, a threat to the security of the United States, but he got caught up in the whole uh, McCarthy thing. Looks as though Mr. Radulovich has talked to the B in the News and Review, but we're going to try and get him uh, to talk to us as well. All right, on this date in history, October 27th, in the year 312, at the Battle of Milvian Bridge, a few miles north of Rome, Constantine slays Roman Emperor Maxentius. Legend tells us that Constantine saw a vision of a cross in the heavens and the words, conquer by this. Constantine is, of course, the third most important person in the history of Christianity after Jesus and St. Paul. He converted uh, the powers that be in Rome to what was previously a persecuted religion. 
On this date in the year 1945, German automaker Ferdinand Porsche, builder of the Volkswagen, was arrested by U.S. military officials for his pro-Nazi activities, which of course included designing a lot of the Nazis' top tanks. He was sent to France, held for two years, then went back to designing cars. And I can't resist at this juncture inserting the joke into the program, which asks, you know the difference between a Porsche and a porcupine? Answer, in a porcupine, the pricks are on the outside. Born on this date, Teddy Roosevelt in 1858 one of our most illustrious U.S. presidents, a Republican who was also a conservationist, whom we trust is spinning in his grave at present. The principles uh, of the progressive um, Republican Roosevelt, of course, uh, seem to have been lost, seem to have fallen by the wayside by the current uh, group of Republicans who um, wield so much power in our nation's capital. Speaking of our nation's capital, I'd like to, to use at this juncture a, um, a series of CDs I bought in the Smithsonian two years ago, which contain actual recordings of uh, numerous presidents, including William Howard Taft, Woodrow Wilson, Calvin Coolidge, and Teddy Roosevelt. You've uh, probably never heard his voice, so let's just give you a 15-second snippet of it. The principles for which we stand are the principles of fair play and a square deal for every man and every woman in the United States. Our quote of the day comes from Rita May Brown, who once said, Lead me not into temptation. I can find the way myself. And for our joke of the day, we would like to thank uh, our fellow KDVSer, DJ Robin Fox who alternates with Bill Wagman for the Saturday Morning Folk Show. Robin sent this joke, The Ghosts of the White House. George W. Bush is tossing and turning. He awakens and sees the shadowy form of George Washington standing by him. Bush asks, George, what's the best thing I can do to help this country? Always be honest, says Washington, who then fades away. The next night, Bush awakens and sees the ghost of Thomas Jefferson near his bed. Tom, he asks, what's the best thing I can do to help this country? Respect the Constitution, says the ghostly form of Jefferson, who then dims and vanishes. The third night, Bush wakes up, and he sees Abraham Lincoln standing beside him in the bedroom. Bush turns to the ghost of Lincoln and says, Abe, what's the best thing I can do to help this country? The ghost of Lincoln strokes his beard, looks at Bush, says, See a play. Thanks again to Robin for that. Now let's go to the uh, our favorite section of the week magazine. Good week for, bad week for. According to the week, last week was a good week for henpecked husbands after an Italian man who was sentenced to nine months of house arrest begged a judge to jail him instead so he could escape his wife's nagging. I need some peace, pleaded Ahmed Sali, an Algerian immigrant. The judge said he fully understood 
and jailed him. And it seems they're always picking on the Russians in this, but they also judged it to be a good week for dumb luck after a Russian man on his way home following a night of boozing drove off a bridge and landed his car in the branches of a tree instead of the river 60 feet below. Nikolai Vornov of Tomsk was unhurt. Back in the U.S., back in the U.S., back in the U.S. as all. The week judged it to be a bad week for do-it-yourselfers after a New Jersey man held up a freight train with a homemade bow and arrow. Juventino Vallejo Camarena, 43, boarded the locomotive at a railroad signal, allegedly pointed his crude weapon at the crew, and ordered them to get off the train. Armed with real guns, police shot him in the wrist and took him into custody. And although it comes from their Only in America section, we think that you, could, you would have to rank it a bad week for being cut some slack. When? Firefighters in Minnesota let a man's house burn to the ground because he hadn't paid a $25 annual fire fee. Called to the mobile home of Carl Berg, 50, the firemen subdued the flames long enough for Berg and the family to escape. But then, noticing the lack of fire number on the structure, they allowed it to burn. <laughs> you either buy it or you don't have it, explained Don Billig of the Rural Fire Protection Association. In the last week's show, we talked about the excellent article in New Scientist magazine about the number of uh, germs, the number of bugs that we all have inside of our gut and how they do a lot of good for us. Amplifying that article and perhaps improving on it a little bit is the current issue of Discover. I would uh, highly recommend the article, Are Antibiotics Killing Us? Which goes over some of the same ground and explains some very interesting biology. It's especially interesting in wake of the Nobel Prize being awarded to the Australians for their perseverance despite ridicule in their um, their belief, based on some astute observations, that that ulcers in human beings were probably an infectious disease. This, of course, has been now proven to be the case in you know 90% of um, of ulcers. What's curious about it is that uh, it explains some of the confusion that took place with the issue of Helicobacter pylori in the gut in that uh, Robert Koch's postulates just don't apply. In other words, um, if you remember your biology, your, your bacteriology, uh, you should expect that um, you should always find the bacteria in question when you find the disease, but it's, it, there's a gray area with this. It wasn't so cut and dried. People are still scratching their head over... Um, over how this really works. It turns out that nature is a little more complicated than we thought. And uh, we may get close to understanding uh, why it is uh, we didn't need to evolve a lot of biological systems because we, we human beings, we animals, are our own ecosystems. And we can easily let uh, some of our, uh, our uh, uh, fellow travelers, the bacteria in our gut, do a lot of the work for us. Interesting stuff, and it's going to... Um, to take science in some very curious directions in the years to come. Another thing that's going to be curious in the years to come is what we're going to do in the Sacramento area as we take all of the sewage being produced in the Natomas area, where we, of course, decided to build, or not we, but developers decided to build in the floodplain. Uh, they decided to, 
to now drill under the Sacramento River, and I would refer you to the metro section of the B, last Saturday for a glowing description of this device that drills under our waterways and then carries sewage to treatment plants miles away. Now, in the third world, they're fond of putting uh, uh, sewage lines right next to the same lines you use for drinking water, but I would have thought that in America, we would not do something quite so boneheaded. Of course, when you consider that uh, Southern California is uh, just sticking a giant straw down to the Delta and sucking water south to uh, to uh, to L.A., I'm wondering, maybe we can find a way to cut out the middleman and just put that sewage right in the peripheral canal. Of course, it's not really a peripheral canal yet. Uh, they're still debating. There's a fascinating uh, point-counterpoint uh, in the B a couple, um, uh, couple weeks ago about how uh, we might just want to build, finally get around to building that peripheral canal. And, of course, water people have pointed out that uh, the only thing that keeps Southern California interested in in keeping the water quality up in our delta is the fact that they're depending upon, you know, um, stealing it from us and sending it south. If they built a canal that went around the delta, they would have no concern and no interest whatsoever in the welfare of this region. And that's another reason to be against it. We, uh, we need to close out our first segment here and get into talking to Bob Edwards, which we did some, some time back. We're going to air that for you again in segment two. Our third segment in today's program, we'll review the uh, talk we had with Daniel Shore. I, I think this is really worth going over again. These are some of, the, some of the, our favorite uh, interviews we've ever had. But uh, let's close with a little bit of real live Ed Murrow, one of his broadcasts done in 1940 from London. is Trafalgar Square. The noise that you hear at the moment is the sound of the air raid sirens. I'm standing here just on the steps of St. Martin's in the Fields. A searchlight just burst into action off in the distance. One single beam sweeping the sky above me now. People are walking along quite quietly. We're just at the entrance of an air raid shelter here, and I must move this cable over just a bit so people can walk in. There's another searchlight just square behind Nelson's statue. Here comes one of those big red buses around the corner. Double-deckers, they are. Just a few lights on the top deck. In this blackness, it looks very much like a ship that's passing in the night, and you just see the portholes. More searchlights come into action. You see them reach straight up into the sky and occasionally they catch a cloud and seem to splash on the bottom of it. One of the strangest sounds one can hear in London these days, or rather these dark nights, just the sound of footsteps walking along the street, like ghosts shod with steel shoes. He wasn't a journalist, but you can hear from that broadcast uh, so much of what we've come to accept from reporters on the scene all over the world. This was something quite, quite uh, new when um, when Murrow pioneered this in World War II during the Blitz of London. Um, let's take a short break. We'll return to talk to Bob Edwards about his book, Edward R. Murrow and the Birth of Broadcast Journalism. You're listening to KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. I'm Douglas Everett, and this is Radio Parallax.